HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Wisconsin Cheese. We've been making cheese in Wisconsin since before we were even a state, which may be one reason why we win so many awards for it. It's what happens when a whole state dreams in cheese. Find your next favorite cheese at wisconsincheese.com. Hello and welcome to Snacky Tunes. I'm one half your host, Darren Bresnitz. Happy Hanukkah. We hope you're layering up those latkes, having beautiful mounds of brisket, and digging deep into that sour cream and applesauce. It's one of our favorite Jewish holiday meals, and we hope you are enjoying with friends and families and loved ones. This is looking like possibly, probably the last episode of the year. Everyone is super busy getting ready for the holiday season. And so we'll say Happy New Year now. We'll see you in 2022. Thank you to everyone for all the support. It's been an incredible, incredible year of friends and conversations and getting to meet new people. Dig into the archives if you're looking for something to keep you warm during this holiday season. We want to end the year with two buds, Jonathan Strader, Jack Leahy of Little Coyote, co-founders, and Jack is the chef. Little Coyote is one of the bright spots, although that comes with some caveats, which we get into during restaurants that opened during the pandemic. And they talk about how they came to opening up this restaurant, how they've evolved, brought in the community, and if anyone wants some insights on how to make a long, cold-fermented dough, Jack has some great tips for you. And then we dig into the archives from a very winter-specific, dreamy performance from the Maria's. It's great. It's fun. It's perfect for a roasting fire, maybe a hot cup of cocoa or cider, or maybe even eggnog as we head towards Christmas as well. So thanks again for a great year. Please sit back and enjoy Snacky Tunes on hrn.org. We'll see you in the new year. We talk about food. We talk about music. With musical dudes. Finger on the pulse. Snacky Tunes.
Trader, Jack, welcome to Snacky Tunes. Thank you so much for taking the time out of your busy schedule. Appreciate it. Uh, Strader, I got to let you know, last time I saw you, you, uh, I bought a sweatshirt and you gave me a baseball cap and I was like, I don't need any more caps. I am like capped out. And um, 
I didn't wear it today and I had to like make a note not to wear it today because it's become like one of my go-to dad hats uh, for restaurant merch. So I appreciate, I appreciate that, especially for my summer, summer baldness. Yeah. Well, we got to support fathers. Fathers, fathers, right? That's summer baldness. Yeah, exactly. It's the grace and baldness of fatherhood and entrepreneurship, right? Oh my God, I know. Um, so, you know, congratulations on Little Coyote and Little Coyote to the second location. We're going to get into that. Um, but one of the things in, in, in knowing you guys and reading about the restaurant and talking to other people is that the restaurant's really been lauded as a success story during the pandemic. And I know success during this time is like a very loaded word. But a lot of people, when I talked to, I was like, who did a good job opening, being successful, looking after the community? And you guys keep coming up in the conversation. How does it feel to have that accolade pointed at you? Is it is it stressful? Do you feel that it's earned? Can you just be like a little less modest and be like, no, we did do it right? Um, what are your thoughts? Uh, it, was hard. it was weird in the beginning. We had a conversation with each other of like, actually being a success story when all of our friends were kind of like dropping like flies and it was mm. like a really hard time. It was still a hard time for us as well. And we kind of struggled with certain things too, but we were so focused and committed to like what we were doing. It felt like second nature, mm-hmm. was like how the right place, right time, right concepts, all that kind of stuff. Our relationship that was already strong from working at Hatchet Hall for many years together. Mm-hmm. And we were going to do a project that we're still doing as well. So we had a lot of like things in our favor. It wasn't just like an overnight thing that happened for us. It was kind of like we didn't really f- play the victim card too much when everything happened. We kind of played a little bit more of like never waste a crisis moment, which was mm. kind of interesting. So it was. I mean, I feel like yeah. we like we didn't have a choice. Like it was like this is what we're doing. This is what we have to do. This is like yeah. this is it. Like mm-hmm. we got to go. And if you know if this doesn't work we'll figure something else out, you know, we'll, we'll reconvene. But in the moment it was like, yeah, this is everything. Everything's on the line. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, uh, definitely, um, such a, a heavy thing to take a victory lap on when so many people are, are, we're hurting, but at many times you're like, we just got to put one foot in front of the other as well. Yeah. Um, I, w- I want to get to the restaurant on the opening, the story to it, but I want to go back very early because, uh, Jack, I was reading about you and you've been in food your entire life, started cooking with your family. Yeah. Uh, what, you know, people have parents that cook, but not everyone's drawn into that world. What what made you just fall into in love with cooking and food? You know, growing up, like, so my family's pretty big. Five, I have like four or five siblings and uh, mealtimes were chaos. You know, it's like... Uh, everybody kind of congregated together. My dad was a, is, is a fantastic cook. And that's kind of like what pushed me in that direction. Cause it was like every holiday, it was like the table needs to be covered. If there's a blank space on the table, we're fucking up. <laughs> <laughs> and it was just every holiday, any excuse to make an extravagant meal was always there. And, you know, I started kind of like picking it up and just kind of like had a natural ability and was like, mm-hmm. Oh, I really like this. And then, it, and then I, I went to call to culinary school and that kind of like solidified it for me like Mm -hmm. oh this is cool this is where i want to be granted i dropped the fuck out but (laughs) it was probably the best thing that i could have done to see the world but then also realize that you got to work you got to get into it and you got to go someplace where you know you can learn from somebody and somebody you respect so that's what kind of pushed me over the line 
one of the people that you learned from was Susan Goyen at AOC. And uh, you mentioned it was a pretty transformative experience for you. What was it about her and her kitchen that changed your life and the way you looked about cooking in the restaurant industry? Well, the first uh, the first noticeable difference is it was the first kitchen I'd ever been in that was 90% female. And the approach to food definitely resonated in a way that there was like a respect for the ingredients, a nurturing of like how we do things, like the care that we put into it, the level of of skill and prep and everything that goes into it is like, yeah, this is like, this is a craft. This is an art. You know, mm. we worked with the farmers. We worked with, you know, Peter Shaner on a regular basis. He was pulling up to the back of the restaurant and unloading like the best vegetables in probably the United States, right? So, mm-hmm. so that like non-ego driven, non-machissimo uh, kitchen was really appealing because the other stage that I had set up and got was at Melise. So I went to Melise mm-hmm. with Josiah uh, mm-hmm. and was like, oh, I don't think I want to be here. <laughs> so, so in, mean, up, in, in the nicest of words, and, uh, and Josiah is great. Uh, of course. And it's, 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 that is a very classic driven sort of setup for, for a restaurant and kitchen and things like that. A little bit different than really. what AOC was doing. A, a lot during that time. Yeah. yeah. And at the time, you know, 2000 and I guess it was 2003, 2004, like her books were just coming out. Mm-hmm. It was honestly one of the hottest tickets in town. We were doing 350, 400 covers a night wow. in the old location. And, it, you know, you really learn to cut your teeth there because even starting on Garmo where you're like, oh, I have five, six different vinaigrettes and I got to make them all every day. Right. <laughs> and I got to make and I'm responsible for dessert and I'm responsible for cleaning all my greens. Oh, and we're going to add a. Special tonight's going to be uh, fried uh, artichoke cards with uh, the Romesco. So you're on top of that, too. <laughs> yeah, right. And there's no, like, there's no breaks. Yeah, no, no like, I got to go get clear my head for 20, 30 minutes. They're like, no, 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 no. You don't have time. And if you didn't, you know, if you're not ready, that's on you. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, Strader, um, I mean, I know that we met back at Hatchet Hall a, a while ago through our, our good buddy Kong, but you've you've been in the industry as well for a while and drawn to, I don't want to say like fine formal dining, but different than what you're doing now, like tablecloths, you, you know, like sit down, uh, more composed dishes um, than the slice joint. What drew you to that world? What brought you in? Um, over the years, I think it was kind of looking at what we did at Hatchet Hall was one of those things that I don't think you ever could uh, replicate. Mm-mm. And it was such a special time and a special mm-hmm. place that all of us kind of came together. And it was kind of like a symposium of like all these creatives together in one building. And it was like my job to kind of like herd everybody together and make sure no one killed each other. So it was uh, a, a point in time where I got to it and I was like, oh, we put so much work in this, but this never could be recreated. So there was a time that I started thinking of like, why not try to put another concept together Mm. and be able to scale it in a way that it's replicatable in different cities and different markets. And it was right when I moved down to Long Beach and knew we needed to do something approachable enough for the community and not kind of go for like the upper echelon of dining. And we kind of always talked about it, how that style of dining is becoming a dinosaur and the pandemic just excelled things 10, 15 years Tech's kind of played a huge role in that as well. And yeah. tech kind of playing the role of what the pandemic was and non-contact, online ordering. 
it was kind of one of those things that we needed to make sure that we were kind of ahead of as well. So like I said, like the whole concept wasn't just like birthed overnight in the middle of pandemic. It was a lot of thought and transition going into a different style of service and different style of food that we were able to kind of like wrap our heads around. And it wasn't just like, oh, let's just do this. So, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think dining out in that way probably goes back to being a more special occasion for the majority of people <laughs> instead of where let's go hit four or five restaurants a night and just, you know, maybe it's a good meal. Maybe it's a bad meal. Now it's like, no, I have my six spots and I know all the people I'm, I'm a regular. And that's, that's what I do when I go out to eat. Um, you guys met at hatchet hall. Uh, and, um, did you meet immediately and like one day we're going to do something together? Uh, or was it more of a, a slow burn where, you know, after work you're like, oh, yeah, this is cool. But maybe down the road we'll do something together and it's going to be different. Because I, I know you mentioned and I read that you had like another concept percolating, but that got put on the back burner. Yeah, exactly. So we we, we met slightly prior to Hatchet Hall. Yeah. Mm. I stepped in at Flores, too, which was Ladies Gunboat Society. Mm-hmm. And I actually, mm-hmm. I met Strader at Wolf and Sheep's Clothing. I came in for dinner, and then I picked up a few shifts just on the line because Brian was like, I need a line cook. Are you down? I was like, yeah, I'm fucking down. Enough <laughs> cooking with no menu. Uh, so I met Strader there, and, uh, you know, we our official career didn't start till Hatchet Hall. Yeah, my uh, floor is a little floor bit. Floor is a little bit, yeah. Sure, okay. That was short-lived for Brian and I as well. And and I don't, I don't know if there, it's probably more of a slow burn, but I will say I wouldn't probably do this. I wouldn't do this with anybody else because mm. I've worked with other uh, general managers, managers, operators, and owners and been like, well, there's only one person that I want to do this with because I know because I've seen him fucking, you know, clean shit off of a wall. <laughs> mm. <laughs> mm. And that uh, that resonates deeply with me. So, <laughs> well, yeah, because you left, you were at Hatchet Hall, and they went to L and E, right? And so it's not like you're like, okay, we're here, we're jumping ship together. It's like you went out, and again, no disrespect to L and E, I love their oysters and 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 drinks, but it's like, oh, you got a taste for something else after you know life after Strader, right? Mm-hmm. True, yeah. Where I had to deal with another manager who. Not even close. No names, name, but you know. No names, no names. If you know, if you know, and you're listening, we're sorry. I'm sure everyone's a nice guy or girl. Everyone is a nice guy and girl. Correct. <laughs> um, and so, how does this go from let's do something different, let's have conversations to like actually a real thing? Um, because there's always like the we're going to do this. Like, let's get the band together. Like, let's get a project going. And then people go like, I'll call you in a week, then a week's a month. And then it's like, remember when we were going to do that thing? Uh, well, we had the market thing that kind of got pushed to the back burner. Sure. That is, we have a lease space, Corner Cherry and Broadway, 232 Cherry used to be an old beer and wine market. I'd been kind of like courting the kind of like person of that for a while. And then I kind of like had that list of like chefs of like, I'm like, I need somebody. I need to, you know, Behind every great company, right? There's a Mm -hmm. founder, there's co-founder. There's usually a group of two people that do things because you need, it's like Batman and Robin. Mm. Like we, you all, everybody, we all need to have like a partner to be able to bounce ideas off. If you try to do this industry by yourself, Mm -mm. you're going to get chewed up and spit out. You're just, Mm -hmm. your mind's going to be your worst place. You feel like you can't trust anybody. You got to be able to like trust somebody with your life. 
So the first person I had on the list of out of like, you know, the people that I wanted to work with was Jack. And I was like, Hey man, I got this opportunity. I was like, are you in? He's like, yeah, I'm in. I was like, all right, great. <laughs> so, and then that's kind of how it all started. And then, you know, it's, you get, you get to a point because I think, you know, you know how it is. You become a father, you have responsibilities yeah. and you need to make sure that you provide for yourself. And once you get a taste of working for yourself, yeah, it's a lot more work. It's a lot more stress, a lot more responsibility, but you definitely like the flexibility of being like, yeah. hey, I don't, I can leave right now, even if you can't leave right now. Yes. So it's just like one of those things. And you always kind of chase that North star and dream of what you want to do. So that was kind of where that kind of like action to reaction kind of formed within the like relationship and uh, bond of us doing things. And then fast forward to March, 2020, we both closed our restaurants, put my house in forbearance. Uh, we had to come up with a game plan on the fly, found a noodle shop that we were able to do an asset purchase on for pennies on the dollar because of what the market was. We bootstrapped everything ourselves. Jack learned how to make the dough at his house in Pasadena in his apartment. <laughs> and uh, we just fucking went for it. We found a branding guy that, you know, was a friend of a friend, never met him once during the person. He knocked it out of the park for us and the community wrapped arms around us. And it was, it was a special event. So I don't think things like that can be recreated sometimes you know it's like that lightning mm. in a all right well listen let's take a little musical break because i want to dive a little bit more into that opening and especially hearing how that dough was developed especially if i if my notes are correct you never really made pizza before and it's a killer slice so here we go we have a song from the icon archives on snacky tunes on hrn.org a one, a two, a one, two, three, four, reaching for the pot, reaching for the pot, reaching, 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 nobody wants to hear your preaching. back to snacky tunes we here with straighter and jack co-founders chef respectively of little coyote and right before the break you were telling us sort of the truncated version of how just the wheels just started spinning and everything got it going very quickly with the restaurant but i want to go back to probably the most important thing is that you decided to open up a pizza place with no dough recipe and never really slinging slices at scale so how did you dive into a dough that you knew was going to work for you and also make you stand out? Because Ellie's a pizza town now. Yeah, uh, agreed. I, I think that in the last five, maybe even seven years, LA has just been pushing the pizza bar 
higher and higher and higher and it's getting better every day. It's fantastic. Um, to be honest, pizza and dough are scary words for traditionally savory chefs mm. that are classically trained. So it's one of those things you're like, I would never do that. But we joked about it and then it became a reality. And he was like, do you think you can figure it out? And I was like, yeah, why not? So the best for me, the best approach was start from the end product. Mm. So in my mind, I said, well, what do we want? It's got to be New York style. It's got to have like a chewy, delicate, crispy, but also foldable, thin crust slice. You know, with that in mind, I was like, well, let's look at New York. There's a lot of places I like in New York. And I was like, let's go for something middle of the road. Like, let's think about like Joe's pizza, right? Mm-hmm. I can get a product Love Joe's. that resembles Joe's. I'll be super happy. So I started tinkering. I started reading everything I could, including like Tony Giamatti and the Pizza Bible and like anybody that had anything to say about pizza or New York pizza. You know, I actually like read a bunch of like Tom Lehman stuff, too. He's like the dough doctor and just went down that rabbit hole really, really deep. <laughs> but what I found was there's a there's a good way to get to where we wanted to be. And the, the things that I know we needed to do was like, you've got to have a high protein flour. Cause I played with probably 10 different kinds of flours. I probably did. Oh, anywhere between 20 to 30 iterations of the dough itself, tweaking mm. hydration, tweaking sugar content, different flours, mixes of flours, and then fermentation times. But what worked the best was super hard flour mm-hmm. and long ferments. So mm. 72 hours is where wow. we did with like a three day cold fermentation to get that, like, because it, 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 like the three days subdues the yeast and tames the gluten into a way where it's structurally sound, but you don't have this like chewy, uh, kind of like thing that you can't even process with our, you know, homo sapien, uh, masticating. <laughs> um, but you know, it was a little bit of luck of course, which I think a lot of cooking is cause you kind of nail something. And you're like, well, I hope I can do that again. Yeah. <laughs> I, uh, I gave, uh, straighter a pizza one day and was like you know go with god yeah. <laughs> let me know what you think <laughs> we already signed the lease <laughs> <laughs> and he called me and he said he liked it and uh that was pretty much that and the dough really yes we've tweaked it along the way and we've had to deal with scaling and things like that but looking at the recipe now it actually doesn't look very different from the original recipe wow the only real indication would have been like slightly less yeast Hmm. And that just has to do with temperature control and, and, and things like that. So, I mean, you guys were able to be on the pizza, get a menu going pretty quickly and, and, and get the concept going. Um, and I think sometimes, it's, especially when you talk about Little Coyote, yes, it's easy to be like, this was a born out of the pandemic or working for yourself. But what other factors that people may not know about went into opening this? Like what, what was really some of the other driving forces that decide you to open up this restaurant? I think it's like the background of like, I mean, collectively, I mean, how many restaurant, how many restaurant openings have you been a part of? <laughs> uh, I don't know. Yeah. But like six. six. Yeah. And I mean, Something I like did, that. you know, I played the pop-up game with Chris and Brian and mm-hmm. sure. we didn't really have a game plan for any of that where we just figured it out on the fly. Yeah. It wasn't like too much of like planning. So I think that's the thing of like, everybody sits there and has, like you said, of like this, what was the plan? It's like, I feel like people sometimes plan too much and mm-hmm. then they never end up get to like actual like formation of a concept because they can't figure out more than just a plan because they never can execute it. 
So being able to like have that many different like raw environments of pop-ups and dealing with space limitations and kind of everything that we've kind of dealt with in the past kind of really aided to the success of us being able to open. I mean, we opened in 13 days. We took over the space, took it over the day after the riots, the George Floyd riots in Long Beach were like, Buildings were burned. Everything was smashed. Me and him walked in and we're like, all right, I guess we're doing this. And I think another important factor, too, to answer the question is like the reach, right? Mm. So we were in this kind of niche world of like elevated, you know, and for L.A., we would call it fine dining. Obviously, it's not exact. It's not like super white tablecloth, crazy mission sure. art, stuff like that. However, there the what you do get is a break between who can actually eat your food. Like if right. you don't have enough money to come and spend a hundred to two hundred dollars per head, you're really it's an exclusive thing. So for us, opening that up and going, wait, why can't we take what we've learned from like elevated cuisine or high high end cuisine or fine dining and apply that to like something somebody can eat every single day, you know? And pizza, pizza is like what the unifying food. Like it, it crosses all boundaries, rich, poor. Like everybody yep. loves a slice of pizza. Everyone, <laughs> every um, so that that was huge for us too. Like how can we feed more people? Especially as a chef, it's like that's why I got into this was to like share what I like to do and what I like with other people. So that was yeah, a and, part of it. And I want to talk about the community in one second, but you you brought up a point of opening up in thirteen days. And you guys have both opened up fully transformative spaces into different types of dining rooms. And you guys did yours very quickly. What advice can you offer to people who do get bogged down in that quagmire of time and money in opening up a space that can sometimes sink a restaurant before they even open the doors? Or they're paying it off for the entirety of their life. Uh, I mean, that's the, the golden goose of restaurants, especially in L.A., I think people are get so distracted with decor and all the details instead of just trying to keep it. They get, especially for younger guys, right? We don't come from money. We borrowed money from, we sold off a little bit of the LLC, LLC to friends and family. Sure. Like having the limitations is almost better because you're like, this is all we have. Yeah. So well, that's almost easier to be able to do. What can you do work. with nothing, right? Yeah, what can mm. you do with nothing? You're like, we have this, we just got to make it happen. So you would, you're forced to keep it simple. But when these people have these huge design budgets and they're like worried about what kind of like textures they have on the wall or like you know what kind of booths they have of like different leather and all that kind of stuff, it's just a little bit a, a little bit different. And like a, it's a different world, right? Like, like for for us, it's like okay, cool, we want to open our third location, and now we we start talking about what is like built to spec look like for us, right? Right now we're in that, but like for the development phase of a concept, the first one, like do people spend three million, four million dollars? Look at Sprout. Like look how much money they spend on these like huge buildouts, and they get all these people together, and then all of a sudden it's just like, oh, that didn't work. So, yeah, no, no, I know, I know, and obviously the it's a little apples or oranges because you're opening up a more casual spot like, like a pizza place, but I've seen people with tiny spots go way over budget and go, why did you do wainscoting and custom wallpaper and a, a crazy sound system for this type of spot? And $200 stools. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So um, going back to community um, and being a part of it, I know that you guys have really ingratiated yourself to the Long Beach area. Um, why beyond feeding people and things like that, 
what is it about that area? What is it about the people there? Like, what what drew you to that part of? I mean, I guess it's not L.A. And I know I've been saying L.A. and that's not really fair. That's just my East Coast bias being like, well, this is all L.A. But like what brought you to this uh, part of California? Uh, I bought a house three years ago down here and I was commuting back and forth. And I had spent a little bit of time kind of driving around pretty much every area through Los Angeles County of like, where am I going to raise my child? Um, uh, Long Beach was very attractive in the sense of like the diverseness and acceptance of any culture, race, sexual orientation. I thought, it, you know, it's a great place to raise a kid because of that factor of nobody really like judges anyone for any color of their skin or what, you know, who they're attracted to or what they're into. Uh, that's what the beauty of Long Beach is. And everybody down here is a little bit more real than Los Angeles. Like I've never really had the neighbors that I have. In LA, where you know you walk across the sidewalk, and then the person crosses the sidewalk to avoid conversation <laughs> with you. <laughs> you know what I mean? Where we're like down here, it, it's a little bit different. And then Jack moved down here, and he's just like, he's like, this is great. Yeah, it's I mean, just like it's it's different. I mean, you know, I think Long Beach doesn't get enough credit for the city that it is because, like, we have one of the largest ports in the country like a super mixed, diverse population of people, like all walks of life living, you know, in every other apartment or every other house, every other street. It's like, there's, there's this wonderful community here that really has a lot of pride for what, what is mm. the beach and really wants to make themselves distinctive from LA too, which, you know, formerly living in Los Angeles, I didn't get that. And now that I've been here for about two years, I'm like, Oh, I really get it. And I love it. Mm. <laughs> it's like, some, you know, there's something special about it. It's a city by the water. It's, it's kind of unreal. It's kind of unreal. How long until someone gets a slice or a pizza named after them? <laughs> or a sandwich? Oh, well, look, show them your tattoo. Oh, yeah. Jack just got Brandon. You can't, can't show Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. There you go. There you go. There it is. <laughs> there it is. That's some fresh ink. Um, walking billboard. (laughs) So I know I'm talking to you from your second location, which, you know, 18 months in, less than that, for you guys to open up a second location. You're talking about a third. What's allowed you to have the confidence and the growth to really open up all these new spots? Um, What's saying, like, let's just keep growing? Um, I think it was – everything was kind of serendipitous, right? We were like, okay, cool. It was out of force and necessity almost because it was like we were running out of dough and we the dough management was really hard in the first location because we were having to like basically bulk ferment and a like double door fridge and it was so inconsistent. So we're like, fuck, we need a commissary. Yeah. And we found a listing on LoopNet that was off Los Coyotes Diagonal and we went over and they're Stop. like, oh yeah, exactly. Yeah. So we're just like, okay, cool. So we're like, here's the commissary space. And we're like, okay, great. We hit it off with the broker who's now a good friend of ours. Um, so we got that. And he's like, would you guys be interested in taking the second generation restaurant that's two doors down, which is freestanding? That used to be an old Italian restaurant. And the guy that owned it had the commissary space as well, like 10 years ago. It's just like Italian bakery. So, you know, we just kind of hit it off and did another asset purchase. And I think there was, a, there was that window of time during COVID that you were able to kind of get things done a little bit quicker because landlords are trying to get rid of people that sure. were paying their rent. People were kind of like beaten up by the second closure. Well, like people over their heads too. It like kind of 
shook off some of the a little bit of a course correction, if you will, for some of the people who just maybe don't belong in the restaurant industry. Cause a lot of people get into mm-hmm. the restaurant industry for the wrong reasons. They're sure. like, it's going to be cool. It's going to be easy. I'm a it great cook, sense. you know, like this is going to be awesome. It's like, no, wait, we've spent like the better part of our lives trying to like get this right. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like let's, you know, let's, let's get back to like what, what is going to be good and what is just going to be another restaurant. So. Mm. Mm. Well, as you guys look towards the future outside of opening up new restaurants, um, with these bigger spaces, expanded menus, more merch, bigger community outreach. What's in the future for Little Coyote? We can tease them about the ghost concept. We can, yeah. yeah. I mean, the you know, as you know, we're working on the market, right? That's mm-hmm. kind of been backburnered. However, back on track. Plans are at the city. We look at this empty shell of a building. I actually live right next door to it. Uh, great. <laughs> Daily reminder of stagnation. It's always such a <laughs> great feeling. Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, but in the meantime, we just started playing with this idea that we uh, really like. It's kind of a virtual brand or a ghost kitchen brand that would be basically kind of like a pasta concept mm. that would go into our commissary because the commissary in the evenings is just an empty building, basically. Yeah. Uh, but we would open it up like five, maybe even seven nights a week, basically five kinds of like macaroni or noodle five kinds of sauces, a couple add-ons, and you kind of build your own experience that way too mm. for takeout and delivery only through like your third-party apps and your online delivery and all that kind of stuff too. So that's something we're playing with. Get that tech food money. <laughs> people love it. And people love fresh pasta. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, awesome. well, it's like, it's, it's like, you know, we have to operate a commissary where it has, you know, we don't have any income coming into it. So we have to figure yeah. out creative solutions to of be course. able to kind of like – grow organically and not have to like create so much debt for the businesses. So it's like, there's this, you just have to find creative ways to be able to kind of like navigate a way of being able to grow organically without having to kind of sell your soul to the devil of like a, a VC or something like that, or where you have no control over your own company. So it's like, yeah, you can grow fast that way, but then there's other ways that you can grow where you kind of hold the cards in your pocket and you're able to call the shots. So that's one thing that we want to really do with our brand is be able to kind of make the right decisions, learn from the mistakes of other people in the past that have kind of been through those things and like got attracted by like this, like dangling carrot. Then all of a sudden it's like someone kind of ruined their brand and concept. We just really want to kind of make sure that we can kind of cultivate what we're doing, kind of build it organically ourselves. So. Awesome. Well, listen guys, congratulations. If people want to check out the restaurant or see what's coming up, where can they go? Uh, how can they find you online? At Little Coyote LBC. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. We have another song from the archives and then a live performance from the archives here on hrn.org.
This episode is brought to you by Wisconsin Cheese. There's a reason when you think of Wisconsin, you think cheese. Cheese is a huge part of Wisconsin's history and future. In Wisconsin, the state of cheese, the tradition of cheesemaking excellence began 180 years ago, before Wisconsin was recognized as a state. Immigrants traveled to settle in this lush, green hills of Wisconsin, bringing their cheesemaking traditions with them. These storied skills combined with the freshest milk available created a cheesemaking culture that is uniquely Wisconsin. Wisconsin's 1,200 cheesemakers, many of whom are third and fourth generation, continue to pass on old-world traditions while adopting modern innovations in cheesemaking craftsmanship. Find your next favorite cheese at wisconsincheese.com.
Welcome back to Snacky Tunes. I'm one half your host, Greg Bresnitz, uh, and we have Maria's in studio. Welcome, all the way from Philadelphia. Thank you. Thanks for coming up. Thanks for having us. I was just down there recently for Thanksgiving with the family. You're from right outside. From right outside. Where in Philadelphia are you? Um, I live in Fishtown. Okay. I'm in Fishtown oh. pretty much now. Does everyone live in Fishtown? Everyone. Yeah. The whole city. The whole, the whole city. city lives to in Fishtown. Fishtown. <laughs> Sounds like, well, that was like how like, like everyone lives in Williamsburg. It's like there's other, there's other parts. Yeah. Well, they call Fishtown like a mini Williamsburg. Do you remember sometimes. when they when they called Philadelphia the Sixth Borough and people like lost their shit? Do you remember? I don't think Philadelphians were too happy about that. Yeah, no. As someone who lived in New York and was a former Philadelphian, I was like, it's its own city. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, welcome to the show. Do you want to introduce yourselves? Uh, sure. My name is Mikkel. I play keyboards and sing lead vocals. And that, my name is April, and I play guitar and I do harmonies with Mikkel. And I like how you figured out a way to have like a common sounding name of a band, um, but make it totally Googleable, <laughs> which is like really important um, in this day and age. In this day and age, it is. Yeah. Where does the name yeah. come from? Um, it's sort of named after my mom, actually, and her name is Maria, but so, spelled the normal way. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Where did you come up with the spelling? Um, I think I was just playing around with different spellings of names that could sound like Maria, you know, depending on how you read it. But a lot of people do not read it as Maria, so... <laughs> yeah, what have, what have been, like, the more common pronunciations? Mariah's. Myriad's. Myriad's is a big one. Myriad's is a big one. I guess, like, maybe from, like, Myriad, it could... Yeah. You could see that. No, I can or see where it, where it comes from. They would be, they would be wrong. Sure. They just went on... <laughs> They're just wrong. <laughs> when Mikhail went on tour recently, I think one of the opening bands, didn't they call us no, Myriad's every night? The band that we were on tour on with. On tour with would call us Myriad's every night. Every night. <laughs> every night, but the, the guitar player in the band was finally like, dude, you're saying the name wrong. This was our, our buddy's white laces. Yeah, we got a couple kids. Hey, guys. Like, hey, guys. What's up? Nothing. Kids. They can't hear us. Oh, he waved. That's um, very sweet. <laughs> and April, you went on before for the downtown club, which I was is awesome. So yes. thanks for coming back. No, I'm glad to have you to be back. Um, one of the things that I like that you talk about your band is like the conflicting personalities within bands um, or like the overlap of personalities. Mm-hmm. Um, how does that work within the your makeup? Uh, I, th- I think right from the bat with this band, like from the start of this band, that we and I sort of wanted everyone's personalities to come through and not try to control it or make it one sound or one, uh, you know, I wanted everyone to feel comfortable and let their personality shine because everyone has their strong suit. So. And Mikkel was, Mikkel wrote, these are all Mikkel's songs, except for a few covers that we do. Um, but Mikkel, when she brought them to each of us, she never said, you play this part, you play this part, this is the rhythm you have to do. It was, here. here's my music, what do you hear? And we would get together, four, four, there was four of us, four ladies, and um, just sort of jam on Mikkel's songs until we... It worked really well. I actually feel like what we have was very... It came together pretty quickly. Rare, yeah. yeah it was not... It was interesting, because... But the idea of not telling other musicians what to play exactly is something that I wanted... I. In my previous band, it was a lot of like dictating what everyone played, and everything was pre-recorded, and you know we recorded songs first, and then we learned them as a band. And uh, before that, I was in a band that was very much improvised, and we all played together and wrote songs together. So I kind of wanted to go back to that vibe more so than you know just telling everyone what part what their parts are. 
I mean, a lot of music and art that comes from groups like come from the conflict that's created. So if you're mm. super easygoing about people taking your original idea, like, do you feel that structure is still there, or is it just you kind of let go of things? I think the basic structure is there, but also the way that I write songs, I don't. I don't know if the structure that I initially write them in is the best structure either. So I also really appreciate other other musicians' input on the structure and the sounds that are going on in the song. And I think that it's in the end, it becomes a better song than what I did by myself initially. But there are some songs that we actually kept very to what Mikkel created because yeah. they were very beautiful. I guess it just depends. It depends. Mm-hmm. I mean, each of us have very different backgrounds musically, but we're all very, um, I would say we're all sort of, not trained, but we've been doing it for so long that mm-hmm. I think we were all just very respectful of what Mikkel created and wanted to, we really liked it and just wanted to, like nobody wanted to add have an ego it, and add right. to it. was more, this is beautiful music, let's together. Right, well, I don't know. Why don't we hear a song? Okay. okay. What's the name of the first song you're going to play? Um, what are, oh, uh, this one's called Unlock My Eyes. Unlock My Eyes. Um, oh, and how far away is this from the original idea? Um, this one is pretty close okay. to the original idea. The original idea was just to have a drone of a song, <laughs> basically, so you can only veer from it so much. <laughs> No. Okay. Maybe the kids out there got scared.
So when you started the the project and started creating these songs, how far has the sound of the band evolved from when you started this project to where it is, or to what we just heard? Uh, well, actually, it's, it started. Um, I was playing these songs solo, kind of similar to the setup with a drum machine beat and just a synthesizer and uh, my own vocals, and then. So this setup right now is actually more similar to how it started, um, but once I brought in a full band, uh, it definitely took on its own kind of dynamic. With you know playing to a drum machine, you don't really have changes in volume so much, or changes in even tempo changes are you know not going to happen. But, yeah. Sorry, I just realized I was talking in That's a delayed okay. vocal. <laughs> it's still good. It's okay. Yeah, I'm sure, that fun. sounded really awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Super dramatic explanation. Yeah. The history of. Oh, yes. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, I don't know if you have anything to add, April. Uh, yeah, I don't. I mean, Mikel and I, when we first, when this all started, it was her and I, and then it became four women, and then it became two women again, and, and then three. Like, it's had different different ways of playing Mikkel's music and it's worked in each way like yeah, we just played a few shows where our bassist Emily um, who's not here tonight she um, played along to the drum machine which was very interesting but had a pretty good outcome which was I don't know no, I don't think bassists really like to play along to I know Emily usually did it for her at all, (laughs) (laughs) but she was a trooper and got through it. And it sounds yeah. And and at what point um, do you feel like do you ever reclaim the songs, or is it that the um, improvisation kind of takes its place and then you like finalize it and record it, or or is it still like an ever evolving process? 
I think once once we get to a point that we're pretty happy with it, we that's when we have recorded the songs and and we kind of try to stick to those recordings and you know how mm. how we, I guess how we finalize them. Um, I I think that the way for me to kind of bring it back to my own is to be able to focus on the vocals more and yeah. the, having you know that be kind of like my expression through the song. Yeah, so. and always changing. I mean, I think with this, the way we're doing this right now as a, as a duet is the uh, most, the, probably the where we can kind of play around a little bit more with sounds, mm-hmm. usually. I don't know. It's easier with two sometimes to... Yeah. And then, like, as, like, in the other two band members, like, the dynamic that they add to it, especially for the live show, like, what would, you know, what would you, how would they affect that? Or how do they affect that? Uh, well, I mean, just the, like... Especially place, replacing, well, both instruments are missing right now, so it's like the bass and the drums give it more kind of drive, and I think the songs are a little less droney, you know, with, with having the rhythm section there. Uh, yeah, like there are certain songs like we wouldn't even try playing right. as the two of us that right. we do with our drummer and with our bassist. I know, playing live has always been really lovely with, with this group. Um, their energy between the four of us was always really vibrant and I actually feel like you after we would play shows usually people that would come up to us would say the same that it was nice to watch a band that just felt very comfortable with what they were doing so, and I'm, with each other which is as opposed to bands who seem like they're in direct conflict with each other direct conflict with each other or are putting on a show which some people want to see that you know and that's mm-hmm. not really what we do what, can you explain that like a little bit further going out to see a band and you can obviously tell like the person who's playing for you is 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 not an actor or an actress but is somebody who's I don't know how to explain it without making it sound like it's a well, I think there's a difference in a lot of live music and yeah. seeing bands where some people have the intention and and with the audience and the performer that they are there to kind of see a show and see, you know, they want to see people perform perform and dance around and play guitar licks and and, move, and then yeah. there, I think there's, what well, we were just trying to create something that felt really natural and that we really enjoyed doing. To do. yeah. um, and I think that that comes off a different way as an audience member and for me as an audience member I appreciate that, yeah. I think, more than just seeing a performance. More like walls down, kind of like, I mean, setting yeah. here versus like, th- what we see here on, or what I see here on radio is the same as we'd see in like a, a venue. Yes. And like Mikhail, like it's funny when we do, like sometimes we'll play shows and yes, yeah, some of the songs are long and droney and like I know sometimes we'll go on and be like, is this going to be boring tonight? Like are yeah. we going to like, are people not going to be into this? Is this too slow? Is it too? And I've never felt like that. I've always felt that I don't know. We're just very presently in the moment and and not, not yeah. trying to make it more than not it is. Not trying to make it more than it is. You know, it's I don't know. It's nice. We're it. Uh, it's different. I've never. I mean, obviously, being on Downtown Club and you've met Travis yeah. and Dan, we're kind of putting on. I mean, yeah, it, it's a much whole, whole. I guess that's the other opposite end of the spectrum that I'm thinking. Um, why don't we hear another song? Sure, sure. What are you going to play? Uh, what are we playing? All alone. All alone. Okay. Yeah.
for some of the snacky tunes listeners who are not as familiar with the Philadelphia scene, who are uh, some of the bands that you love down there and some of the venues that you like playing in right now? Um, well, I don't want to name any band. Sorry. <laughs> I don't, we, everyone's, uh, you know, even bands that are have different sounds. We're all a really tight knit community down there. So, I mean, um, I don't know who. Well, our our bass player has another band called Louie Louie. Yeah, that are really awesome. They're up for a celebrity award. Oh my god, I forgot about celebrity awards. <laughs> so, celebrities happening on Wednesday at Johnny okay. Friendes. Amazing. And um, our Louie Louie is up, and so is Jesse's band's up for it too. Okay. And mm-hmm. uh, yeah, I don't know what's going on. Louie Louie is great. Yeah, they're Emily's. they're great. Um, Spacin are awesome. Uh, like blinking. There's this younger band called Kississippi that are really oh. adorable. Kississippi. Kississippi. Oh, Kississippi. Mississippi yeah. with the K. That's pretty good. <laughs> They're really great, though. There's a there's this whole younger kind of scene that's coming up right now. That I mean, I don't even know like all the names of the bands or anything, but uh, it's pretty exciting to see that the scene is continuing on. I think in Philly. And then uh, there's older bands too, like Clinton's yeah. band, um, Light, Light, Heat. Light Heat, which used to be Mazarin, and now he goes as Light Heat. And Drew Mills has a band now, AM Mills. Um, so it's funny, all these guys that have been playing music in Philly for a long time are starting to be out and about again. On their next iteration. They're on their next, right. yeah. They like had their children and now they got married and now they're back for more. Uh, they all live in Fishtown. Yeah, everyone, well, obviously. There's no such. There's not. It's. I mean, just Fishtown. Just if you rearrange the letters, it just spells Philadelphia. Pretty much. That's true. Um, and then I know you mentioned Johnny Brenda's, but any uh, other right. venues as well. By the way, shout um, out to. I just saw Creed uh, when I was home, and Johnny right. Brenda's is in it. Right. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah, that's great. Yeah. I thought you were talking about the band. No, no, no. I mean, that, I mean, un, it's an unfortunate <laughs> thing because the movie is is awesome. But every time I was like, I saw Creed, people were like. You did? <laughs> uh, talking yeah. about the band. Yeah. Yeah, Johnny Brenda's was really yeah, they're in still, that a lot. I mean, yeah, yeah but as a venue, they're, they're yeah. still a really great place. Um, I mean, I guess the other venues that are around right now are like Boot and Saddle and uh, Ort Leaves is Ort around. Leaves. And, uh, oh, my God. I used to go in there when I was underage and drink beer when I was like seven or 18. <laughs> Seven. I thought seven. you said seven. Or 18. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's still going. It's, uh, yeah. That venue is totally switched around how they have the stage. They have the stage set up in a different area and, and they like transformed or leaves. It's not the same. Really, it's not the same. Um, but, uh, um, we just mostly recently played at Everybody Hits and, uh, which I, talk, I, I yeah. think we, we actually listened to Down, Down Clubs. Uh, podcast on the way. Oh, really? We yeah. talked about yeah. Everybody Hits. Oh, okay. Which yeah, is they a were batting, talking about it. Right. A batting cage. And they actually have some really great shows there now. It's, yeah, uh, that's a cool place to play still. And uh, at Philomoca, we're, we're, we're most, playing, yeah, we're playing in Philomoca. Can you at, hear like the sound of the batting cage during the set? No. <laughs> no. <laughs> they have it closed down. Like, oh, the okay. batting cage part <laughs> is kind of closed down while bands are playing. Are there yeah. people who are just, like, bummed? They're like, come on. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now I have to watch this band. Yeah. Um, and what's up uh, next for for you guys, you two? Um, well, we have a show this coming Thursday at Philomoca with uh, this band called Gun Outfit and uh, another a Philly band called Watery Love, who are another great Philly band. Um, yeah. And then uh, we just kind of finished up recording our for like a full length album, so we have some plans to release that in the next year. 
We recorded with Jeff Ziegler, who our mm-hmm. downtown clubs recorded with, and great community. Kelly used yeah. to play in a band with, and yeah. it's a really yeah. That's amazing. Cool um, so we'll make sure we have time for one more song. But okay. where can people find you? Listen to your music. Check you out. Um, I swing guess some bats with you. Band, Bandcamp has probably the most material on it, but we're on Facebook and SoundCloud also. Mm-hmm. Tumblr, actually. Tumblr. Great. <laughs> Does anybody use Tumblr anymore? I, uh, I, think, I think so. so. <laughs> maybe. I don't know. I think like maybe like they might not know that it's like a Tumblr template, but it's a re- anyway. Without getting to it, but um, thank you for coming on the show. Thanks for having. April, us. good thank to see you, you again. Good to see I'm you. I'm glad again. we made this you, this work. And um, what's the uh, name of the last song you take us out with? What What are we gonna play? We could uh, either do a cover, Nico cover, or we can. Do... Oh, let's do a cover. I'd like. I'd actually like to hear one of your covers. Okay. Since you teased in the beginning of the episode. Uh, um, well, this has no drum machine to it, so this is a. That's fine. This is as acoustic of a song that we can do with a synthesizer and an electric guitar. This is like modern day acoustic. Yeah. <laughs> Charlie was going to play tambourine on this, but since he has microphone duty, I can hold the microphone if you have the tambourine. Okay. Tambourine. Okay. Oh, okay. Yeah. All right. You didn't even bring it in, did you? All right. Well, thanks for uh, thanks for being on the show. Yeah. Thanks for having us. Yeah. I'm not in tune, you'll be able to tell. (laughs) All right, can you bring it up just a little higher? Thank you.
We talk about food. We talk about music with musical dudes. Finger on the pulse, snacky tunes. This program is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.